The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. It's nice, nice to be with you. Nice to be down in the, uh, the flatlands. Uh, sit with flatland people. I have to say that uh, with your new with your new place in Sc- Scotts Valley, Scotts Valley, uh, we're going to miss the IMC groups up at Jikoji. Uh, for many many years, Gil came up, and then Andrea's been coming up, and I think I think it was Andrea's last last time. And I saw pictures of the place in Scotts Valley. It's just gorgeous. It's outrageously gorgeous. So congratulations to you for getting that place. It's wonderful. Maybe we'll all move in with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, uh, this summer at Chikoji has been an eventful summer. Um, we just finished with... Uh, a big memorial uh, session, uh, meditation intensive, and a, and a big celebration, a big party. Uh, our teachers, it's been 10 years since the death of our founding teacher, Koben Chino Otagawa Roshi. So we had a big, big bash, and it was, it was great. It was really wonderful. And lots of, Koben, by the way, um, unlike many other teachers who stayed in a place and students came to him he well he loved to travel and uh, so his students were in many different places so this was a chance for all his students throughout the world as many students in uh, Europe as well as um, here in America and various places in America came together and we had a big big celebration it was great. And uh, this summer also we've had lots of uh, ordination ceremonies. We've had, we've had four in the, in the last uh, month or so. And interestingly enough, they've all been uh, women this time. All four of them are women. Um, three were ordained as um, what we call a priest a priest ordination, a bhikkhuni um, priest ordination, and one as a lay lay ordained. Uh, That's uh, quite a uh, cluster for us to ordain that many people, myself and uh, a few other teachers, and we ordained these people. Um, Ordination to me is a kind of awkward word, and even priest is an awkward word because they're kind of borrowed from uh, Christianity. And everyone, I think, when we say ordained or we say priest or we even when we say monk or nun, we develop a kind of concept in our mind that's based on maybe our our more common cultural traditions of. Uh, uh, Christianity usually, and uh, not necessarily Christianity, but uh, 
any rate, in our tradition, to be ordained uh, as a layperson and to be ordained as a as a as a priest is actually we do the same ordination. We, it's the exact same words are spoken. We receive what's called uh, the precepts, and um, I'm sure you have you have a precept tradition as well every almost every buddhist tradition has some kind of precept tradition and so since that's been so um ubiquitous at Chikoji, um i thought i'd share with you tonight a little bit about about our ordination process and particularly what um what what our precepts are and what the what kind of attitude we have toward taking the precepts. Uh, we don't often think about this, this practice or this life that we've engaged in meditation and so on as a choice but actually it is it's a very deliberate and intentional activity that we do when we sat down together tonight um, I could feel the kind of wonderful energy of us all being quiet together Actually, what we did was we chose to stop for a while. And I think we sometimes, uh, in this process, we think that the meditation process and the coming to this way of life is something that happens to us. But I think as adults, as... um, as rational human beings, that we should acknowledge that, yes, we have chosen this. We have chosen tonight to come and sit together and be quiet. And we have chosen to uh, look at our minds, to see um, our breath or see our mental functioning I know I often uh, find myself falling into a kind of state of what you might call receptivity or um, passivity as far as this practice. And when I sit down and I meditate, I I wait for something to happen. And I I feel like um, I'm... I'm not choosing, but actually I am choosing moment by moment. And you could say even when you sit down and, and you're still, you sit down in a particular way and you sit down in a particular place. 
this so-called present moment, to be affected. And in the same way that, say, if you chose to sat down, sit down in the middle of a highway, you'd, you'd choose to get run over, <laughs> if you weren't careful, or, or slow. At a certain time in uh, our spiritual path, in our spiritual way, we come to a decision to, uh, uh, to make a vow and to say, yes, this is my way, this is my path. And um, just like, almost just like getting married, we make a we make a public statement or a public uh, announcement, or we meet with our our like-minded friends to say, "Yes, this is what I'm doing, and this is what I am, and I have chosen this. I have actually chosen this path, and I acknowledge this." It's a very powerful time. And this this summer, um, it was it's wonderful. It was wonderful to witness this uh, with these various people that took took these took these ordination vows. Even though we have uh, chosen, say, to marry someone, our heart may already be with that person. We may already love that person. And yet at a certain time, we need to, or we wish to, acknowledge it in a, in a more formal way and say, yeah, say to our family and friends, yes, I, I love you. And in the same way, when we take these precepts, we say, yes, I'm, I'm here and I've chosen this path. I don't know, maybe some of you feel very provisional right now, but about your practice or about your way and that's okay. <laughs> I mean, you've chosen a provisional place, but uh, nevertheless, you're here. Uh, only, only the people that have uh, chosen to meditate usually show up in a meditation hall. Actually, strange, isn't it? Most of you, I'm sure, know that there's sort of three, it's called the threefold practice. There's the Sangaku, it's called in my tradition, the three learnings or the three ways. And one, they're kind of broad general categories, and each category 
includes the other two. The one category that we did just a moment ago is called uh, meditation, the practice of meditation, samadhi, meditation practice. That's, that's one way. The other is, um, you might be familiar with the term sila, or with ethical, ethical concerns, how we relate to uh, others, how we relate to things, how we conduct ourselves and act in the world. And finally, um, knowledge or understanding, dharma. Uh, so these are the three, these are the, this is the threefold practice. And uh, just like the satipatthana practice of mindfulness, it's like a complete survey of the human condition. It's, it's when you do these three practices together, you're, you're, not, you're not just doing intellectual practice, you're not just doing meditation practice, you're not just doing ethics, you're doing all of them together. So what the precepts, what these precepts, what these vows have to do is to make clear to ourselves and to, to others around us how, how this meditation and how this understanding, uh, how we choose to make it affect our activity. So the first, in our tradition, the first, uh, the first avowal, the first vows that we make are actually called returnings. And sometimes, it's, sometimes the word is, is translated as refuge. I take refuge in Buddha. Buddha meaning not just the historical Buddha, but my own awakened nature. I actually return to or come home to my own Buddha nature, my own awakened potential. I acknowledge that. I say that that's so when I say I return to Buddha. Refuge is um, the refuge, the root fuge, fugal, fuge, means the Latin root means to, to fly, to fly like a bird. And refuge, fugal I think in German is, is fly. Same same root. To re to re- refuge to refly to fly back to come back to come back to my true nature. So I take refuge in Buddha, or I return to Buddha, and I return to Dharma. I return to my own. My own sounds too much. I return to the essential or the primal or, or the base understanding, the, in, the knowledge that is understood, the way things are. I'm, I come back to that. I fly home to my, my original awakened understanding. And I fly back to 
I return to my original awakened, it's called Sangha, which means sometimes it's translated as community, or, but it's community, not just our specific spiritual friends, but it's much broader than that. It means the interconnection with all beings and all things. So we say, I return to, I fly back home to my, or I remember, I recollect that, that this is so, that I'm actually completely involved with every being and everything, without exceptions. I, I remember, I recollect that I'm unavoidably connected. I return to Sangha. I return to Buddha, to Dharma, to Sangha. So that's how it begins. And then the next um, set is called the Pure Precepts. And these are very broad uh, precepts. And they go, uh, I vow to embrace and sustain right conduct. Very broad statement. I just, across the board, without even knowing what it is and what, what has to be done in a particular situation, without the specifics arising yet, nevertheless, I vow to, to embrace and sustain right conduct. That's my intention. And I vow to embrace and sustain the good, the wholesome, what is conducive to well-being in myself and in others. I vow to face that direction. And I vow to embrace and sustain all beings. Same thing as Sangha. I vow to take care of that. So these are called the pure precepts, the broad precepts. And it's a, as you can tell, it's like, it's a pretty big deal, you know? You've, it's kind of scary when you think about it. Ouch, what have I said? What have I just said? But I, you know, I have other stuff to do, and I've got appointments, and... Uh, um, nevertheless, there's a certain time when it may happen to you that you'll say, yes, I'm ready to take these vows. And I should say, too, that uh, a vow, in this instance, can be understood as not a promise, not saying, yes, I will be a good boy or I'll be a good girl from now on. That's kind of too... uh, I don't know. It's too rich. It's like, it's like too rich a meal. We start at a very kind of um, modest place. We, we say, I avow in the sense that um, I bring to it my, in, my intention. It's as if we're looking in a certain direction. We're habitually looking in a certain direction. And we find that, no, I don't, want to fa- I don't want to face that direction anymore. 
I actually want to shift a little bit and face this way. So we, inte- we, we evoke an intention to shift and face in this certain way, this slightly different way. Or maybe it's a grossly different way, depending on how good or bad we've been. <laughs> So those are those are the three uh, pure precepts, and then um, after that comes what's called the ten ten grave precepts, and um, grave in the sense that things are getting really serious now. <laughs> you know, they're getting more specific, and uh, we're getting sort of down to it. You know how 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 we're behaving and how we intend to behave. Um, so how they um, how they're stated is um, actually I'm going to read uh, three different versions and uh, the first there's many different translations of these and again these are uh, these are precepts for not just for uh, for um, monastic practice but these are these are these are precepts for lay practice for everyday practice so they're not intended for a special situation but they're intended for everyday situation and uh, how we conduct ourselves in in our daily life and how we uh, how we particularly how we relate to other people how we are how we meet other people is very important so the tenfold precepts and these are probably similar to the precepts that uh, you have or the the vows that you have the first reading of it says first no no killing life second no stealing third no attaching to fulfillment. This is a kind of subtle way of saying no in, inappropriate or harmful uh, sexual, sexual behavior. Fourth, no illusory words, no lying. Fifth, no selling the wine of delusion. This is also translated as no intoxicating self or others. Six, no dwelling on past mistakes. This is kind of uh, this is kind of different. No dwelling on past mistakes. No dwelling on the past mistakes of others, and no dwelling on the past mistakes of yourself. No holding grudges. No holding resentment. Seventh is no praise and no blame. Other translations of this are um, no praising oneself and disparaging others. But uh, my teacher, Kobanchino Roshi, translates in a much broader way. He simply says, no praise and no blame, period. 
No praise and no blame. No praising yourself and no praising others. Now that's kind of odd, right? And no no blaming yourself and no blaming others. In other words, um, meeting a situation or meeting a person just as it is and relating to it just as it is. Don't puff it up and make it a bigger deal than it is, which is a kind of deceit. And don't disparage it. Don't undermine it. And don't undermine yourself. No praise and no blame across the board. I kind of, I really like the way that uh, Kovanchin Roshi translates this. Eighth is no hoarding materials or teachings. So, in my instance, that means if I'm asked to teach, I have to teach. <laughs> and sometimes I don't want to teach. <laughs> and, uh, and it means if you have a truth, if you have a, if you have a, if you have a, if you're really feeling the truth, or if you really experience the truth, it's selfish not to share that truth, not to, not to express that truth, one way or another, not necessarily in words. And also things, also being generous with what you have. No hoarding materials or teachings. And ninth is. No being angry. Or this is also translated as no harboring anger. And tenth is no abusing or no, no bringing harm to the three treasures, which is your original awakened life, your original awakened understanding, your original awakened interconnection with all things, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. So, it's a big deal, isn't it? Whew! Wow! After a ceremony, these people are like, oh, what did I do? (laughs) And yet, they chose to do this. This is called Chetana in Sanskrit. And Chetana, oh, Chetana is a really, I love Sanskrit words because they're they're much broader than our English words. Chetana means, it's one of the, one of the seven mental factors. Chetana means, uh, it means volition. It means you've actually chosen something. But it also means a kind of, a particular kind of clarity or consciousness that you bring to a situation, a kind of intelligence you bring to a situation in order to choose, in order to come to the place of choosing. So it means, in this chetana means arriving, arriving to choose and choosing both. <coughs> I'm going to read now um, uh, a different, a completely different uh, version of these these tenfold or ten grave precepts. And if you've noticed that these, these ten precepts are, they say, no 
don't don't do this and no don't do that no killing life no and this these are actually uh, stated in a more in the same precepts but they're stated in a uh, in a completely positive way so these are called the clear mind precepts in no killing life I vow to nourish and encourage life completely different attitude isn't it? in no stealing I vow to honor all gifts those given and those not yet given In no attaching to fulfillment, I vow to remain faithful in relationships. In no illusory words, I vow to communicate truth. In no selling the wine of delusion, I vow to polish clarity and dispel delusion. In no dwelling on past mistakes, I vow to create wisdom even from ignorance. In no praise, no blame, I vow to cultivate modesty in self and others with nothing above and nothing below. In no hoarding materials or teachings, I vow to share understanding freely giving of self. In no being angry, I vow to release bias and dwell in equanimity. And in no harming the three treasures, I vow to respect Buddha, unfold Dharma, and nourish Sangha. So, that's the other side. <laughs> Those threefold precepts that I talked about before, the three pure precepts. Do you remember the first one was, um, I vow to embrace and sustain right conduct. So that the ten precepts where it said no killing life, no stealing, no attaching to fulfillment, and so on, those can be seen in the sense of uh, of sila, of conduct. Um, but we can also see that we can also see all these precepts, like the clear mind precepts, in the sense of doing of doing good. So, in a sense, we say we're taking ten precepts, but actually, in a certain sense, we're taking thirty precepts. We're taking ten precepts as these ten precepts as um, as ethical vows not to do this and not to do that, and we're taking them again in a positive sense, saying yes, I will nourish life, and we're taking them again in a much broader sense of actually how we relate to others and how we take care of others and how we're interconnected with others. So just one one additional thing I want to say about the precepts, and that's a, uh, a, a slightly different version of the precepts, and this is called uh, Bodhidharma's Ten Precepts. And from, from my practice,
practice tradition, from the Zen practice tradition, uh, Bodhidharma did an interpretation of these ten precepts that is very, very broad. And uh, I'm just going to read a few of them to give you a, a, a flavor of those. And this is, by the way, this is translated by uh, Kobanchino Roshi. So the translation is a little, well, it's not your usual sense of English. It's a little, little different. So. so the first precept we, the first precept we have is uh, no killing life. Uh, so first, no killing life. And this is Bodhidharma's uh, understanding of it. Self-nature is mysteriously profound. In the midst of eternal dharma, not even to give rise to the view of stopping and extinction is called no-killing-life precept. Can you... Can you get hold of that one? <laughs> this is this is kind of radical stuff. It's so broad that uh, it's almost hard to call it a precept or a vow. Not even to give rise to the view of stopping and extinction is called no killing life precept. So what's he talking about? We we know that there's generation and extinction. We know that there's birth and death, don't we? We know we're going to die. We know we know that we know the truth of impermanence. What's going on here? Not even to give rise to the view of stopping and extinction. So we say, no killing life. But what, it's, what Bodhidharma is saying, he says, there is no, there is no, there is no birth. There is no origination. And there is no extinction. And he's saying to us, in the midst of birth and death, in the midst of generation and extinction, in the, midst, in the midst of all this transitoriness of our life, I'm asking you, Bodhidharma's asking you, the vow is asking you to also have the view of no origination and no extinction. How does that go? We live and we die. We live and we die, don't we? Or do we? Can we also hold a bigger view that says no birth and no death? 
Is there one life, one interconnected, totally involved life, and it has no origination and no extinction? Is that what he's talking about? And in the midst of birth and death, can we hold this view? Can we keep this view? Or not give rise to the view of stopping an extinction for once? Or when he says, um, no illusory words. Self-nature is mysteriously profound. Unexplainable dharma. Not, Not even to say one word is called no illusory words. I've already said too much. Huh? <laughs> How's the time? Is it good? Okay. <laughs> good. Really, we know we know we can lie. We know we can deceive. We believe or we we imagine that we can deceive another person or ourselves. But actually, in the process of lying, of obscuring the truth as we imagine it, aren't we totally confessing the truth of our deception? Aren't we totally being true to our our fear or our, our, our need to be approved or whatever impetus propelled us to speak an untruth or to not completely say the truth. Haven't we totally confessed ourselves completely every time we open our mouths? So, what Bodhidharma is saying in, in these, these, these other versions of the precepts is, yes, there's no, no killing life. Yes, cherish life. And yes, also keep this very big view where there's one life that's totally interconnected and it has no origination and it has no extinction. And you can keep that view in the midst of birth and death. And that can be part of your vow. Anyway, that's the proposition. <laughs> when, uh, when people come forward and say, yes, this is my path. So this summer at, at uh, Jikoji we had a, a good dose of, uh, of vows. And uh, what's very interesting about the vows is that uh, not only the people that, that have, that's come forward and take the vows, take the vows, but everyone kind of remembers the vows with them. It's very wonderful. So, yes, did you want to ask something? Thank you very much.
Um, it seems to me there's, it's, if one looks at the, the plant world, um, no tree ever dies in that sense. Uh, a new one is never born from nowhere. It's always like one long continuous um, chapter in a long, long book hmm. um, that it's all continuous in a way. Is that, is yeah. that a correct? Yeah, I, I see your I see your point. In Bodhidharma's trees, huh? <laughs> and plants, yeah. And our ancestors too, you know. Live in us as well. Yeah. yeah. Would anyone else like to say anything? Oh, yeah. I'm not as I'm not as familiar with the vows in the Zen tradition, but I have heard the bodhisattva vows, so I thought that was part of it, or is that not part of it? Or that's actually Tibetan, maybe. Uh, the, bod- the bodhisattva vows are a kind of Tibetan version of the same thing. Okay, yeah. so that's not included not, in this is, These are bodhidharmas, bodhidharma from the, from the tradition, yeah. But it's all, you know, they're all one vow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just be nice. That's the vow. <laughs> and behave yourself. <laughs> oh, it's hard. Because, you know, we've all got little rascally kids within ourselves, even though we're trying to be adults. And all us angels have demons in there. Yeah, nevertheless, here we are. with uh, carrying things too far. Is this on? Oh, okay. Where you're trying to preserve human life and there are pests around that carry vectors and things, you know. And I value human life above the life of the disease or the vectors. You see what uh-huh. I mean? um, And I understand the heart of it or the wish of it, but the actual being able to carry it out completely seems impossible. Of the vow of no killing life. No killing life, because... No killing life, yeah. Well, maybe you can't even kill life. I don't know. Actually, uh, it's, it's totally irrational from, from a particular point of view. We have... We kill... We kill to live... I mean, we, to, in order to eat, in order to survive, yeah. we walk on the dead. We do, and and the next generation will walk on us. You know, we've we. So how do you approach that? I heard the word sentient beings used before. That's kind of our bias, isn't it? <laughs> because we happen to be sentient. <laughs> but we uh, eat carrots and yeah, die. Yeah, yeah. So. 
Yeah, it's an so impossible I do, vow. I just yeah. drop back on my breath and say, okay, I can't do yeah. it. Do your best, but you can only go so far. When you think of all the smaller organisms or the parts of our body that make make us up, that have their own agendas that we read about, you know, the mitochondria and so on, that yeah. are actually not, you know, they're us and they're not us at the same time. So it's yeah. it's like the whole sense of self or the whole sense of a uh, of a This idea that we have of a individual, unique self is just a kind of policy that we walk around with. And uh, it's provisional, you know, and it is temporary. Yeah. So in the midst of that, how to, the question comes up for us because we're at this place of consciousness, of awareness, how to take care of the situation uh, as best we can. As best, that's what as I do. Best we can. As yeah. best you can. Yeah. 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 Uh, <clears throat> thank you very much. Uh, very informative. In alignment with what this gentleman said, I've been trying not to kill the spiders in my place. Yes. And they bite me left and right. <laughs> so today I was trying to get rid of four of them, pick them up, mm. and let them go. It's mm. a very difficult thing. Uh. And uh, I have problem with, uh, I mean, I cannot understand the difference between uh, a tree is a living thing. And is it sentient, a tree? I don't know. I'm well, contemplating. Pe- People say, some people say that there's, there's, there's a sentientness. We, we eat uh, plants. Uh, we, um, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, there's lots of confusion in that uh, realm for me. Yeah. There's a big gray area in what is sentient and what isn't. And you could yes. even make an argument that a rock is sentient because it responds to stimulus. You know, water or, you know. So, but... <laughs> I don't know. I talk to rocks sometimes. <laughs> it's when they start to talk back that I get worried. <laughs> yeah, this is where I am at this moment. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for taking care of the spiders, by the way. <laughs> they enjoyed you. <laughs> It's a big topic, and uh, we're never finished with this sense of how how to exist, how to be in relationship, uh, how to make our words true, impeccable, wholesome, how to make our actions useful, kind, helpful. Well, we start right here, and we are, we are those who are choosing to look at this, that are actually practicing cetana, choice, volitional activity. We're choosing to sit down and look at our own minds. We're choosing to p- 
place ourselves in the midst of birth and death and in the midst of no birth and no death. Together, we're choosing to be conscious, to see our minds, to practice. So let's continue the work together, okay? Okay.